Welcome to Ming Presents the Reup, a conversation with the artistic mind. Yo, what's the word? What's going on, brother? <laughs> I'm good. Man, Friday came, Friday, Friday needed to start at like 10 a.m. this morning. I'm telling you, I'm burnt. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. I woke up or like around 7 and kind of went back to say, I've been working out, so my back, is, my lower back is just killing me. And um, Old I man problems. I'm using muscles that I haven't used in a long time or never. So Yeah, but you're looking good though, man. You're looking thin. I'm trying trying brother trying to keep it up i actually put on some weight so it sucks well that's all right though because right now is it's like the thing about because i lift all you know i train a lot too and you can't always be going you can't always be losing weight sometimes you gain weight because you're gaining muscle sometimes you gain weight because you're stressed you can't be crazy about that stuff yeah it makes you nuts if you do reading off reading up on uh, stress and fucking (laughs) all this how you know affects your body and all this shit so you know, I'm trying to balance. Keep is your girl right. a trainer? I see that she trains too. I see. What's no, the story? She's just into it. She's just healthy. Yeah, she's just healthy. Yeah, That's but we're both we both gain weight. We're both trying to like get back in shape. <laughs> like we got quarantine bodies. My, my only downfall is like after a week of all this with the kids and trying to stay sane is that you know I hit the alcohol a little bit too hard. So then I got to deal with that. Yeah, I, I don't do that during the week, but on the weekends, I'll, I'll make one or two cocktails. That's what I'm going to do tonight. Tonight, I'm going to make me a gin and tonic, and I'm good. So, you, so you, you're like one or two cocktails. I'm like, I'm lucky if the bottle doesn't disappear. I'm telling you, it's terrible. Really? <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that DJ lifestyle we're not going out. I'm being a little modest. I'll have more than two, but, right. you know, All I'm right. not trying to, you know, get crazy, crazy. That's yeah. funny, though. So let's go. What, what are you working on? What did you work on this week? Um, so I'm just working on album stuff, a couple of different productions. I'm doing a collab with, um, Gary Richards, the truck I'm doing a song right now, um, with, uh, Ty Dollar Sign's little sister, actually. He got vocals from her. Nice. Um, so literally just was doing that today. Album stuff, remixes. I just did a remix for Sam Sparrow that came out today. Um, something for Phil Weeks on Rob Soul that came out today. Um, that's it, man. Just trying to stay productive and creative and trying talk. to it out. You know? Do you want to talk a little bit about the album that you're working on? Because I don't know if that's under wraps, the concept is under wraps, or if it's something you want to talk about, because I think it's important, but that might be for a later date. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I could talk about it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's still f- far, far ahead, but I mean, in, in brief, it's basically like... Um, I wanted to do a record, uh, a dance, a house record out of the U.S. with U.S. influences based out of here. Um, I flew to Atlanta and started uh, have Dallas Austin executive producing the record. And I wanted it to have a narrative that has kind of been lost or misconstrued or not known is that house music and techno is from the U.S. And God bless the U.K. and Europe for embracing it and helping us all of us with the careers that we have but you know we should always maintain the narrative that it is ours and that's how movement starts uh we don't we don't really have that electronic dance music movement here in the u.s because everything is trans they proceed to be transplanted from from europe um people kids don't understand that techno is from detroit house music has its origins in new york new jersey and chicago um, electro, Miami bass, etc. So um, I wanted to ref- do an album that reflects everything that has to do with us here in the U.S. You know, yeah, yeah, and the correlation between house and hip hop—it's always been there. I mean, we can we can go back to Jungle Brothers, I'll house you, to uh, Queen Latifah come into my house, or How Do I Love Thee, or Craig G turn his house into home, or Special Ed, Club Scene, so on and so forth. Um, you know. Uh, Tropical Quest, Black is Black, um, on Warlock as well at the time. People don't understand or don't remember or don't even know that um, Todd Terry released Jay-Z's first album, Reasonable Doubt, on Freeze um, before it went to Def Jam. So there's always been a connection there. So I want to also, you know, bring that to the forefront as well. You know, it's funny because the the other connection is, is like classic breaks and rare group breaks that made its way into house music at a higher tempo or a different tempo 
you know, and then adding the adding the four on the floor to that, but still having it as an element that's behind tons of house tracks. Something that's also never talked about is that how much rare groove and hip hop and soul was sampled and put in house music still. But yeah. people don't talk about those elements of where they come from. You know, like when I was doing drum and bass, that was the core of drum and bass is that you start, you learned all the breaks. So you kind of had a library and a vernacular about all the different, you know, this is the Amen, this is, you know, this is, right. So you, you start building all these different breaks and you're playing them at a faster tempo. But when people realize that those are really from soul records, like regular people, James Brown, it's mind blowing for them, right? Yeah. But then all that's, yeah, James Brown, everything, you know, like you name it. And then that music, that stuff is still in house music, but nobody actually knows that either. If you're not a, a maker of house music or a producer, <clears throat> like people don't hear those classic breaks and all that stuff that's in there. And um, <clears throat> to some degree, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say it's a lost art, but because people haven't grown up with that music, they'll never understand where those grooves come from. Yeah. You know, how, how a break sets, sets off a straight four, you know, two and four, how that becomes a swinging beat as opposed to just something that's just boom, bap, boom, bap, and then doom, The culture bap. of understanding where breaks come from is lost too. We, we, I ha we as DJs early on, yourself, myself, and everybody, all our peers, we learned where those breaks came from because right. we had to kind of dig and buy the vinyl and go, oh, this is this break, this is the Amen break, and this breaks come from there. You know, you know how many people use the chic loop in the beginning to to make records, you know? So, um, it, it's just part of the process of learning how to DJ is, is, is understanding the break, you know? But yeah, I don't think it, that, 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 that craft or that art is kind of lost. You know, we don't, kids don't know where stuff comes from, you know, except for the diggers, you know what I actually have, which I'm going to release at some point, give it away or make it some sort of special thing is that I have all of the classic breaks that I've sampled forever like i have maybe maybe it's 250 or so breaks that i've been slowly putting in a logic file in their original form and then on the grid and then locked to the grid so that every single break can be used on the grid you know because kids need the shit yeah. on the grid these days um and so you can just export them at whatever tempo you need that's dope yes i you know, like at first I was just doing it for myself because, like, you know, whatever, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to, I'll give it to all the producer friends. But that was like, maybe this is a cool thing for people to go back and learn. Like, wait, that's where that actually comes from? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, it's, we have a great tool with who sampled these kids. Or I keep, we keep saying kids. Anyone could go learn where shit comes from. Because it's not just kids. It's people that are our age. I don't know. I think the, I think the term kids yeah. is that when you don't, yeah. when you have kids yourself, you are no longer a kid, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> when you say kids, people coming up, coming up, new producers, people who yeah, haven't been through the kids. decades yet. Yeah, these cats, these, these cats, cats, these kids. Um, yeah. Who's, I, listen, I use Who Sampled still. I love that that site. Sometimes I'll be like doing a, you know, I recently did a a, a track um, called Loco, and I wanted to find that original horn that was used in that in the Cypress Hill. Don't you know I'm Loco? So I went to who sample to find the original record where that came from, so I could sample it from that to put it in my track and not go to the, not go to Cypress's track to get that. Get it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I use that as a tool too. It's a great tool. It's a great tool just to learn as well. You know, I listen. You and I probably have um, tons of sessions and vault stuff. Like I have a drive put away that is multi tracks. Like I'm talking everything from. Uh, Def Leppard to stacks, all the stack sessions. Uh, the stack sessions, that's a good and, one. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm talking gigs and gigs, but I've never dove into it and I never took anything from it because I had so much respect for it. Like I would bring up and listen. Like I actually just, um, I have a tons of Boston multi-tracks and um, I just did a record with um, uh, Hashing, the, the drummer from Boston. His daughter is singing on a track of mine. And um, I told her, when I met her, I actually didn't know that that was her dad. She's actually married to The Rock, believe it or not, too. Get out of here. Yeah. So I didn't know who she was when we were in the studio working. And then I, she followed me on Instagram, and I read her last name. I'm like, Hashi, and I said, was your dad the drummer from Boston? She's like, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> what? And then um, during, the, during this uh, session, 
I was like kind of freaked out. I was like, whoa, this is so dope. And I told her, I said, I, when I get back home, because I was in Atlanta, I said, when I get back home, I'm going to go into my files and give you all the multi-tracks of your dad's music, like More Than a Feeling, everything, all the Boston stuff, so that you can isolate his drums and just listen to it and, and bug out. And she was just like, what? And, um, and I did that. And, and I turned out I had like 10 different Boston songs, multi-tracks. So I sent all to her. She was super grateful. So yeah, we got, we got to re up on that because I had a bunch, I don't have them anymore, but I did the same thing. I had like all these classic records, these multi-tracks. And because it, th there was something mental with that, which was like going in and listening to all of the multi-tracks by themselves and listening to how raw they were and how not perfect they were yeah. and how by themselves, I was like, wow, it was a lot of, I don't want to say garbage, but for today, you wouldn't leave as much raw stuff in there. Like, yeah, I have, um, I have Stand Back, the multi-tracks, and are you here when Stevie Nicks is singing is her heels tapping on the floor in the vocal booth. So she's like... Should you right, hear, right, right, right. hear the heels? I mean, it's loud as shit. And then a lot of people don't know is that the keyboards in that song was played by Prince. And what happened was Jimmy Iovine produced the record. Um, she wanted to make, when you listen to Stand Back, it sounds exactly like Little Red Corvette because she wanted to make Little Red Corvette. Like that was the premise. That was the, It's in the same progression, the same key. And she, she told Jimmy, because they were dating, I guess that he was hitting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want I want Prince on the record. He found out he he found out that Prince was in LA, some studio. He got in contact with him and, and the studio he was at and said, You want to work on a session for Stevie, um, our song? He said no. Right, this is how the story was told to me. So Prince said no. Prince said no. So Of course he said no. Said no. And then he I guess he had a change of heart. He wind up going to the studio to find him. And I, I guess they went out to eat or to lunch or something, whatever. He goes in and the engineer's there and the engineer's like, oh shit, Prince is here. So he goes, let me hear what you guys have been doing. So he, he, he just plays and he shows, I record me and he turns on the OB-8 and he just plays like two or three or four passes of the stand back synth chords on the OB. And I have those in that session. It says Prince take one, Prince take two, take three. And you literally hear him start kind of fiddling around and trying to find his groove and he lays down the the chords and the and the progression, the synth progression for a stand back. That's so amazing. That's really crazy to, to hear. Like, the, the, the two, well, you just gave me two stories, but one was I had the Michael Jackson um, session stems. Phil. Phil Weeks is up. What's up, Phil? Hey. Yeah. I had so, the, you know, so I had the Michael Jackson session mm -hmm. stems, and what I was amazed about was how pitchy. Uh, I think it was I'll be there. Oh, I'll wow. be there is mad all over the place. Like yeah, the vocal, right? What? He was young when he did that. So yeah. But yeah. when you listen to the production as a record, it sounds great. It's, you know, like it's, it's, it's a thing, right? It's got a vibe to it, but the set, the stems themselves, I was like, woo. And that, that gave me a lot of insight into being a producer, which was don't overanalyze the thing by itself. Listen to it in context. Cause in context, yeah. there's a lot of flavors that it might add, even if it's out of key, even if it's slightly rubbing this way or the other. So now when I collaborate with somebody, if I get stems that are slightly out of key or something like that, like a synth sounds funny, and I'll think, well, maybe they're tuning it at a different tuning. I'll hit them up first to be like, is this supposed to be this detuned? Because if yeah. I'm going to tune a vocal over it, you know what I mean? Just to find out if maybe they're doing that on purpose or if they don't yeah. know that I just harmonic, fix it. Like some harmonic. I, I have a funny Prince story that I had a friend of mine, Don Piper, who was in this band, the Don Piper situation. This is way back, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um this is the early Ming and FS days, maybe after our first or second album. And out of the blue one day, oh, Prince was playing at the Garden. So Prince had this big show at the Garden. And then I saw Don, I was doing some recording with him, and he was like, yo, do you want to go see Prince at Tramps? Is it tra was it Tramps? Yeah, that turned into Centrofly. Right. Yeah, yeah, do you want to go see Prince at Tramps tonight? And I was like, I'm like, what? He, he's playing the Garden tonight. He's like, no, look, I've got, I've got a guest, you know, like I've been invited to this show at Tramps do you want to go? And I'm like, you know, my inclination is to be like, no, because we're not going to get in. It's going to be a shit show. Right. Whatever. Yeah. But he's like, just go meet me at the door. I'll get you in. It'll be cool. So I, it was like a Friday night. I go, there's a line around the block. I mean, it's like, there's no way I'm getting in. 
But I'm like, all right, I'll go to the front, see what's happening. I get to the front of the line. Don is there. He's like, come on, let's go in. We go in in front of the whole line, so whatever. We go inside. There's maybe 50 people. And you know how big Tramps is. It's big. Yeah. So we get inside. About 10 minutes later, they shut the doors and it's done. There's like 100 people in this club. He just leaves everybody outside. I'm sitting at the bar waiting. I'm having a drink, being like, this is crazy. I'm in like a huge, like, thousand person club with a hundred people yeah to the right of me is spike lee mm -hmm. and and you know just as a new yorker you kind of ignore you know like spike was big at this time this is like yeah. like his prime mm -hmm. he's got a, he's got a, a new york times under his shoulder he's got a suit on you know he's full-on spike lee i'm having my drink he nods at me i nod at him you know I'm not really going to talk to spike lee at this point i'm like whatever this guy's doing prince comes out and he's on the other side so now i'm flanked by prince and spike lee they're all nodding each other. Nobody's saying anything. It's like this really weird whatever. <laughs> Prince has these massive guards with him. So like you don't even, you know, the stories you hear about Prince is like, don't even look at him. He's just, he's a freak. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm just being cool, whatever. He, they go off. Five minutes later, Questlove comes out on stage. D'Angelo's on keyboards. Prince, Prince is on guitar and singing. And that's how it starts. And then as the other musicians from the tour sh started showing up, it was, and then he locked the doors, played for like two and a half hours. Yeah. It was like being connected to the source. It was insane. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, I mean, tons. That's what he used to do. So every show he did in every city, he will go to a little bar, lounge, or little club and lock it out and just play. And sometimes play for four, five, six hours. He, and this is after, a, after playing a stadium show, which is insane. After a stadium show. And he would do that all the time, which is amazing. I mean, wow. I mean, I, but the play, seeing them play was amazing because he, he I, um, what was the big D'Angelo song at that time? Brown Sugar? No. Yeah, it was Brown Sugar. And they were trading on Brown Sugar. That was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, I mean, you know, crazy. Even, Quest, even Questlove had this look on his face of like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like just. Because that was probably early on when he first started doing those. He did so many of those like over the course of his lifetime that, you know, like these spur of the moment prince parties yeah. basically that i'm sure now he's like you know he he's got stories he's got prince stories out the wazuki um but uh that's that's amazing man that's a really good story you know <laughs> that, that, that i don't have any prince stories that's my so the only time i ever physically saw prince was at glam slam in uh grand slam glam slam glam slam in miami when it was yeah still, and he's so tiny like he was just this right tiny, human being and on high uh, heels that are like bigger than anything yeah. your girl would wear yeah so that's that's my only interaction with him like <laughs> physically ever in my life but um he's amazing man. yeah you know it'd be really interesting now that we're talking about oh so the, the thing about having those those master tapes from people like uh michael jackson and you have boston i think because you can see behind the curtain it almost feels like taking from those and sampling from them is sort of forbidden you feel like you're lucky enough to have them. Yeah. But but on the other sense, you're like, yeah, but I'm not really supposed to have all of this. Yeah. Well, see, what's funny about those, I have a mat, like a, 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 a lot of multis. And I, it was a while, there was a, a time where I just collected them. So all these producer friends and different people, we would trade and swap. And um, I, we used to reference them for inspiration or for like or when people came over like if you came over i know you would appreciate them so i would share them with people that i knew would really appreciate these multi-tracks and that's as far as it went so it was like right. oh, cool let's you know grab a beer check this out man and let's check this out. that's exactly what it's like you geek out to them kind of I, I would geek out to them all the time and that's it and that's only and, and i would only break them out for certain times or certain people but um now i'm like let me go back and you know, maybe take the, you know, comp those snares and take this or that kick or that groove or there's that guitar in there. Why not? Like, who, like, what? Like, I had, and I still have so much respect for it, but now I'm like, let's go in there and just kind of like, you know, borrow well, the. I, 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 get, I get that too, because now I feel like historically when people cared about the lineage of records and when like, you know, that's the tie was still there you felt connect much more connected to the, the art itself, the band. But now I feel like everyone is so distanced, even though everyone feels like they can be they're close to the band. It's just your distance. Cause there's no, 
yeah. the lineage is gone. Well, I had a respect even for samples where like we I grew up where if I knew one of my peers sampled a record like Sneak or Amon, I wouldn't sample it. Meaning that's so that's out. So that was done. You know what I'm saying? So if right. somebody already did it, I couldn't do it or nobody else could do it. So when I hear all these kids now sampling the like there's same sample over and over and over again, I'm like, oh. But I, you know, I just I, I grew up in that in that world where if Sneak had a record out like the polyester EP and he sampled Show Me the Way, I was like, okay, he did that. He flipped it. It's done. Like you can't you can't touch that again. You know he, the weird thing that that I've seen done happen recently or over the last. I'm sure you've seen this too. Is like you know how we all make our special versions of songs, the VIPs that aren't really released, or you make your own. You know you're making like bootleg mixes that you play for your live sets that are special yeah. for like the junior. You know like I know some of the stuff that you play. I know what they are, and I wouldn't go home and make that because I heard you do it. I've heard people take those mixes and then go and do them and release them. Yeah, people do that. Yeah, that's 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 a kind of funny thing now. You know, like you see people calling each other out for that, but it's like, but it, it also plays a part too. Like I I know that um, it's been a long time since we had a bucketheads, right? So I know I wouldn't go and sample uh, Chicago and re and do a bucketheads because Kenny already did it. But then some kid that doesn't know that and is inspired and goes and samples Chicago and he does a version of Buckets, right? Which he doesn't really know that it it was. I mean, it was a massive record. How do you how you don't know? I don't know, but it's possible. <laughs> but I think that's even. I'm talking about you and I play a set tonight. You play your boots. Yeah. I play my boots. But then I go home being and go take what I heard from you and I make a record and I go get it signed and I license it and do that on you. That's what I'm talking about. People oh, are doing that stuff. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. No shame. I mean, I hear records where they're taking vocals from classic house records and it's like, like it's already hard drive deep inside and there's some kid samples deep inside and they'll, right. and they'll release it and they'll call it deep inside. I'm like, that? What are you doing? You know? Um... Yeah, you know, you know, I guess it's lack of creativity and a lack of exploration. I think uh, nobody's really digging to find gems or find unique samples or unique things or creating unique things out of samples. You know, think about how Daft Punk would chop up all their stuff. You would even know unless unless you read the credits and obviously they cleared certain samples, you wouldn't know where it came from. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know Breakwater. You wouldn't know all these records that they they created these massive hits with, or you know, Cola Bottle Baby, etc. You know, so well, I have a record out today called Quickie, and I did it with this, this hip hop artist Mardol that I'm producing, and she we the original lyric for it um, was I was looking at you, looking at me, looking at you, looking at me, looking at you, looking at me, and I think you want to screw or something like that, mm -hmm. and then randomly. I'm listening to Spotify and there's a green velvet record with something similar to that randomly like comes on a playlist. And I'm like, what the fuck? I thought somebody jacked my thing. Mm -hmm. So I immediately call her up and be like, we can't do that. It's already like, there's somebody too close in our genre who's done something that's too close and similar to those lyrics. There's no way we're putting this record out. Oh, that's cool. And so we went, we went, we went back and we, we, <laughs> we rewrote the lyrics. I'm like, we can come up with more lyrics in the world. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. You know, because I, I was like, the last thing we want to do is like, we did this. I had no idea that record existed. But if that becomes a thing, what are we going to beat for Green Velvet over a record that like we could have just rewrote? It's not like we sampled something. Yeah. But, you know, I, th I think that's where we're at now with, with what's a lot of the music that's happening today. Is, it's just uh, it's there's some there's an abundance of producers. There's an abundance of, of DJs. And obviously there's a lot of kids making music is easily more accessible today. Um, yeah, or you can do it easier, but um, it's a, a little lack of creativity. You know, I always used to say like, if you wanted to make a record back in the day, you really had to want to produce and make a record. Meaning, you either had to invest in studio time, spend right. thousands of dollars studio time, or you had to invest in hardware and had to buy samplers and you had to buy reverbs and delays. Everything that's in a computer, you had to physically buy. And that shit was not cheap. So in order for you to make a record, you really wanted to do it. Now it's right. like, ah, let's make a beat. And everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on all of that. 
because I, you know, we both grew up through all that. Having I have my S nine fifty Akai sampler and my MPC sixty and all, you know, like blah blah blah. I, I mean, I much rather be where we are right now with technology. The only thing that the technology I thought did did do a service for all of us was that it really weeded out junk records to some degree. Junk records still got made, but there wasn't like, you know, for now, now there's like just this un- endless flood of junk records because anyone can make them. Anyone can string a bunch of loops together and make a record at least one time. Yeah. Um, I'm not mad at it, but I, cause I like the modern production much better. I don't, I remember going to studios to cut, like when I was in rock bands to cut rock songs and you're in there and I felt the monkey on my back with that, mo- that meter running. Like you're paying, you know, as a kid, you're paying a hundred an hour, which is like a lot of money for yeah, yeah, a kid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm in yeah. there trying to play my solo or I'm with the drummer. Can't get it that day. Or the singers like, and you're, you know, it's, it's a different animal. Like I just did a, a five song EP with, um, with a band who, you know, they're, they're not a professional band. It's a passion project, but they wanted to track the drums live. So we, we got a room in uh, Williamsburg at mission sound. And, you know, they, I got a drum tech for the session and I brought in Mario McNulty, who's an amazing engineer. He did David Bowie's last record to do the drum tracking with me. Cause I'm not a drum tracking engineer. I don't have that skill. Mm-hmm. But I produced the rest of the stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of weight on that. The drummer, I was like, if this drummer doesn't come in, if he can't. And we only, took, we only did two. I think we did a day. With a, maybe a day or two. No, it was one day. No, it was two, maybe two days. But the days are expensive. It's a thousand a day. Yeah. Regardless of what you do. Yeah. So if you come in and you're just not good. We are all, there's many days where I wake up and I'm like, I'm not good today. Well, to, to touch on being not good, that's, that's what, uh, like, Mutt Lang hated the way uh, the drummer from Def Leppard drummed. That's why all, so I have the multis and all the tracks in there are all programmed drums. So he has, so he chopped them up, synced them, and then overlaid, like, Lindrums, Lindrum snares, Lindrum. Right. And he would program on top of Def Leppard's drums. Like, because he just could not stand Lucy Goosey, and he just couldn't, you know. Well, and this that, is well, that, that's, lost that's like Lars. That's the Metallica sound, right? Because yeah. Lars's drumming was so sloppy that you know, like when everyone else was getting tighter and tighter, he he just be, apparently was too sloppy for. Was it who did? Uh, was it Bob Rock? I don't Bob know. Rock. But you know, they they started sampling his kick drums and programming that, or using the sampled sounds because it was just too all over the place. It's yeah. funny to see, see Bob, them Bob, there. Rock. Funny. Bob Rock was in that, like, that, the payolas, remember? He was actually, that was him. Was you know, it's band. funny. There's a lot of cats in the payolas that I, like, you know, <laughs> that I I call out when they try to, like, come at you for things. But, you know, I don't want to call them out in public. No, he was in the band, the payolas. Oh, I thought you meant, like, the payolas with the no, studios no. and everybody else. <laughs> he was in a band called the payolas, Bob Rock, and, and, uh, there was a song I remember. That's when I really started getting into. It, it was in a. You guys are touching it. He was a. Uh, it was in a movie. I think it was in um, that Nicolas Cage movie, Valley Girl. Valley Girl. Yeah. So yeah, that's Bob Bob Rock. But to, yeah, yeah. That, that's some funny. Thing, that's some funny shit. I tracked Morningwood at Magic Shop before it shut down. That's when I produced their record, Diamonds and Studs. And that was an amazing because they had an Olympic console, and uh, that was two days or three days of tracking drums. But you know, at that time, the drummer was, was insanely sick, super tight, and um, I just went in and just like you know, in Pro Tools, just with a click, just moved moved everything over and just locked it up visually. I didn't use. Uh, drumagog or anything like that um but you know usually when, when i'm tracking drums or when i did track drums with with bands if the drummer couldn't play with a click i just didn't want to i'm like dude you got to play with a click well yeah i mean and, and that's most, a given for me a now i mean didn't want to they were like no i'm not like, doing a ton of rock records anymore really i mean i do do them but like in, in terms of if i'm going to do a rock record the drummer has to be somebody who inspires me because and they have to be able to play with the click because there's no way that I can or they have to have an endless budget. You know what I'm saying? Because if you have an endless budget, then you can play that you can do 
5,000 takes and it can take us a month as long as you're paying for it. And, and I'm yeah. not doing music just for, for money, for commerce, but like, if you know, you don't have your shit together for all of us to sit around while you're trying to get a clean take, you know, I'd rather just bring in a session drummer if the drummer's just not playing it, you know, just can't do it. But some, some people are great live. They're just not great for the studio. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of people. Did you play in bands when you were a kid? No, not at all. No, no, but uh, I didn't. You were, you were a graffiti head, but you weren't. You always I was a graffiti head. I was a. I loved band. Like I would go watch hardcore bands at at Wetlands, like Alpha Blood or SB. Um, I used, used to go to the Hardcore Super Bowl. Remember that at uh, Lemore's? Lemore's Lemore East. No, Lemore East. They saw Slayer there. That was great. Yeah, I was a little bit too young for that, but I would hang out with like Saw from Marauder, HR from Bad Brains. Like I would. What's funny, when I met HR from Paparins, I had no idea who he was. I was just in Brooklyn at a warehouse getting ready to go tagging and bombing with friends of mine. And he just happened to be there. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how I kind of felt. I was in a scene where the graffiti scene had so many different types of people. So you have hip-hop heads, house heads, hardcore heads, punk rock heads. And the only thing we had in common is we would get together and we're in a crew. And we would go bombing. But we all loved different things. So we would meet up and one 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 day we'll be like, Oh, let's go meet up with, with Dev or this person at you know, at Wetlands or Sticky Mice or this or whatever. And that's how we would congregate. But, you know, that's how I met a lot of people from, from different scenes from just doing art. Yeah. So but I, I grew up listening to everything. Like I'm the youngest of six siblings and I grew up like one brother was into like KMFDM, Volte Cox, Ministry, you know, all the wax track stuff. My other brother was in into early hip hop, obviously, you know, uh, you know, Jazzy Jeff and, uh, you know, all the, all the, uh, yeah, friend, yeah. all the early shit. And then my sister was into Boston, well, ELO and all the, you know, the, you know, rock and progressive rock. And my other brother's into new wave. So, you know, post punk. So, I grew up with all that stuff. And then when they left the house, they left me with all their records because they, that was a format they bought in. Right. So they didn't take it with them. They just left it. So I, I was left with just a mass array of music for me to really consume, you know, and then house music, when I found it, that was my sound print. And I said, okay, this is mine. The same way they had their own things they were into, even though I was influenced by it and I loved it. House music became what was synonymous to me. You know, like this yeah. art is mine. It's I'll funny because I listen to all of that, all of those. Like as you named each one of those things that your your siblings listened to, I was into all of those things as a phase in my musical lexicon. Yeah. And it wasn't like when I was in, I was into industrial, and industrial was very getting of going to techno. I used to go to this club in Long Island called um, Voodoo, which ended up being Caffeine. Oh. And when I would go to Voodoo, Voodoo was Voodoo was the uh, was the um, was the industrial club, and the DJ was DJ Slave, and he would play all night long. And we would, you know, with our leather jackets, and I had long hair, and our combat boots, and we would, you know, dance to this hard driving electronic, you know, whatever. It was the best. But then that became, you know, caffeine with with micro and and mm -hmm. and um, John Trepp got involved, and who else was there? Um, I want to say I don't think Kiyoki was there. It was um, Frankie Bones would play. You know, they got people Frankie like that. Bones would play there. The Chocolate Factory guys, I think Samir and Joski, I think would play there. Um, but yeah. that's where, like, I really solidified. Starting with uh, with Industrials, where I solidified my love for dance music and dance music culture. It was you know like Nitzarev, Front Two Forty Two, Skinny Puppy, like. Um, my life with the thrill kill cold. All that stuff. You you know, you would go and just like ministry, even the heavy stuff. You go from like really danceable things like nine inch nails to almost hardcore stuff and you'd be on the well, dance floor with people. Well, you know what's funny about all that is, you know, me being a househead, I realized so I realized everything kind of has a connection. So nine inch nails, even though you see Trent Reznor and you have he has a band stage. I knew when I found out it was just a man with Studio Vision Pro and a right. computer. Remember Studio Vision Pro? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, so this is essentially one dude kind of doing this stuff. Right. Just like 
house music and it is or just like Prince with a Lindrum and a synthesizer so it kind of all made sense to me and I was like okay this is this is electronic music like it is it is what it is yeah there's different lanes some things are more soulful this is yeah. more metallic and but it, it it is it's kind of all this is their this is the family tree and everyone branches off you know and does their thing but um that's, that's why where I, I mentioned to everything you know that's like, where i fell in love with club culture in the sense of that type of freedom where you were going from a rock show or a rock environment where you faced the stage and you participated either in a mosh pit or in the direction of the stage stage diving facing the band and all that too being in a club where you were the you know the dj was really feeding off the dancers energy and as a b-boy bringing that to a club and like knowing what it means to like bring dancing into in that energy to a club that's really where for me where the love of electronic music also the fact that you didn't have to be in a band because I, I had grown up in bands where you've got four or five guys and if it, it always falls apart and there's always one guy is a problem and you know yeah, shows yeah, yeah. are and i was like wait i can get us i bought my first drum machine was an r8 the roland r8 right, and i, I had and i had a korg wave station and i was making industrial in, in high school i think the, the name of the band i had was called mind conception and there was a singer a singer and myself and i was doing all the early production stuff and that was where the same thing i fell in love with that autonomy being able to be like just have the whole vision myself and not have to wait for someone else to say that's okay yeah i was just making all the music he would write lyrics with me and do his vocals and we were this like hard industrial band yeah. But the club culture thing is really what drew me to, you know, house music and industrial and techno and then drum and bass, jungle and drum and bass and breakbeat and all these other forms. Um, it was the club culture that made me fall in love with it and, the, and, and, and being able to go and express yourself on the dance floor, not just be facing the DJ. The facing the DJ thing came for us after EDM kind of broke. But yeah. Yeah, same here. I mean, for me, growing up listening to all this type of music and then finally discovering house music um, and it and claiming it to be mine, like, oh, this is mine. That's when, like, I would go, I would cut school. Like, I was in elementary school. I would leave school so I could, and it was across the street from my house. So I would run from the, from lunch, where I guess we played kickball, or that's what I remember. And I would sneak out and run across the street to my house to listen to John Robinson midday mix on WBLS. Cause I, that way I, I knew that was the only time I can hear during the day house music, like, you know, and I would hear John Robinson play. And that's the first time I heard, you know, those guys tonight or, or gypsy woman and all these records. I was like, what? Wow. And then I would get on the train and go to rock and soul and rock and soul. And they were like, Oh, we don't, we don't have that. You know, we don't got that record yet. And, I would bring in tapes. I'd be like, what's this song? Um, Disciple. I would listen to DJ Disciple. And it was Mantronics. Like, oh, yeah. Curtis, Chris Mantronics, all that. It was like, I mean, but Mantronics is even way like earlier as well. And his stuff was super influential. And there's a song on that I'm doing on my album that is really Mantronic-esque based because he was doing early freestyle, but it was super soulful. Yeah. You know? Super soulful. I'm like surprised George freestyle hasn't come back in some way or another just because of the, you know, everyone's always like, I'm coming back with some re freestyle records and I'm like, I'm waiting to I'm hear for them. I know, I know I'm doing a few joints on my album that, one in particular with with Lauren Hashin, uh, the Rock's wife, that is, she sounds crazy. She sounds incredible. And it's, it's it, it is, it's so legit that I'm trying, I have to now make it a little bit more contemporary because it sounds like so fucking legit, you know? Like, it sounds like 87, 88. Now I just got to make it 2021. Nobody, man, <laughs> in my world. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm down for that. I always feel like there's going to be this sort of like new freestyle resurgence at some point when people discover it as if it's like, like a new piece of cheese. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I was... I'm working with this girl Maluka from Uptown and she's, she wanted to do, she, oh, she was like, she's, she's from Uptown. She's like, yo, we want to do some Bronx, some Bronx Latin freestyle, the fever shit. I'm like, let's do it. And Latin hip hop. Cause they called the Latin hip hop in the beginning when it first, first. So it had phases. It went, it went from, you notice all the artists early on from Joy Sims to Hanson and Davis, Niobe were all black. And then it became Puerto Rican and it became Italian. Like what? Yeah. 
it was it you know it like and like all the like everything else it has its transitions but um it, it came from the bronx it was uptown man it was literally you know they call it latin hip-hop you know you know i talked to eclipse about that a bunch he's you know the difficulty of being black in the dance music industry now you know i know he has his own vision on that but it's funny with a lot of the origins the people who were involved initially how it's become such a I don't know, it's a whitewashed historical perspective on what the music is. You know, people think about techno, they think it's coming from Germany. And people think yeah, it's, yeah. you know, like, I, yeah. that gets back to our earlier conversation. Well, I mean, Germany has played a huge part in it, but if we want to go to its origins, it's definitely, you know, in the techno, in the, defi in the, in the definition of te techno that we know and understand, it's definitely black and from Detroit. So we can't disregard every other place that's played a part in it but the origins we know where it came from and yes we should make sure the narrative stays and and it doesn't get diluted or lost or changed because that's what happens i think david Guetta when he when he there was a news article and somebody called him the godfather of house or whatever right, the, right. i remember you know, that you know i'm not i don't i don't know verbatim what it was said but it to me it was his responsibility to say thank you for this accolade but and then educate, but, and then educate, but, and then educate, because he knows better and he knows yeah. what he should say to things like that. You can't, we can't erase Frankie Knuckles. We can't erase, you know, Ron Hardy. We can't erase anyone that was before us because they cemented and they planted the seeds for what we do. Yeah. So, and you can't just make, you know, just erase the shit and then rewrite history. I think the hard part is that dance music is so transient and so quick that the lineage that let's say a hip hop or a rock have been able to establish, you know, the, 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 the rock hall of fame, the hip hop hall of fame, you know, these like classic iconic tributes to people who have put so much into a genre, so to speak. Right. That, I mean, not to say that we need that in dance music, but we do need some sort of way of making the culture a little bit less disposable because the records have had a significant effect on culture, but then nobody play, pays tribute to that in any way. I mean, hip-hop culture changed the face of fashion. Right? Yeah. You know, that became... Not only did it have a change the face of music hip-hop taking over the airways that rock used to to, to maintain but, yeah but there's but you know but the people that you can see the lineage people know that this person brought up this person brought up this person came from this person yeah. and there's a history i don't feel like there's any it's not that there isn't a history it's that dance music was so delineated so quickly into all these micro genres that it's very difficult to tie them all together if if you are into minimal techno how do you know that that's the same where did it come from in terms you know what i'm saying yeah, but hip hop's in a unique position because it has culture around it in the way of like breakdancing, b-boying, graffiti, you know, uh, 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 rapping, and and house music and is is a different and it and it comes obviously as, as, to me it's house music is like disco's revenge, right? So it it morphed from a, a, a clandestine underground gay culture disco into what we have today is house and uh, it's always been shunned because of it being gay or this being that and that so dance music is so broad what's unique about hip-hop though is that it's become such a mainstay and it's become pop music but it's the only genre of music that borrows from every genre hip-hop can borrow from country make a country record it right. can borrow hip uh, from electronic music it could borrow from house it could borrow from this it's still hip-hop that's what's funny so hip-hop's in a really a made uh interesting position that it's the only genre of music that is all genres of music literally right and continue like, and can continue to morph because as new things get discovered it just pulls from those but, things but it borrows from everything like you know it takes hip-hop takes from you know classic funk and soul from jazz from country from electronic music it's like that's what hip-hop is it's an yeah yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting to me that dance music isn't the same way, you know. But it, maybe it's because it's too, it, it, you know. There is in hip hop, there's more of a sense of like 
a lifestyle around it as there is not really a sense of a lifestyle around house music. You know, you can't really. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I do agree with you. Not like 99% of it. I just think that there is a, there is a culture around house music and, and different sorts of dance music. It's just that we don't have the same vernacular. Like hip hop prides yeah. itself on the five elements of hip hop that yeah. make the whole thing hip hop. It's not just the music. It's just the, it's not just the DJ. It's not just the MC. It's the dancer. It's the graffiti artist. So that's always been sort of the, the Bible of hip hop. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. Like that's right, a lifestyle. But I do yeah, think there's a yeah. dance music lifestyle in fashion in a lot of ways. You remember, I mean, like we can point back to the big pants era. Yeah, you can see, you can see a I just saw a picture of Armand the other day with him with the, with, the, with these little braids in his hair, but he's got a liquid sky t-shirt on. I'm like, well, you know, yeah. so what's funny about that is, Hip hop can borrow that and take it, and now it becomes part of hip hop culture, and, and it doesn't come back. So, look at hip hop over the course of, of of the years, how they borrowed Arnett's or they borrowed rave gear and, and went into, you know, you know, it, it stayed in hip hop. So it almost becomes like, look, Kanye can sample house music and in hip hop, and nobody knows where it came from, right? You know, like, <laughs> and that's funny. So. That's what I'm saying. Hip hop, because it's a cultural and lifestyle, it be it automatically becomes all oh, that hip hop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I wish there was more sample based house music that wasn't just about disco and just about you know bringing up funk. I wish there was another way. I mean, hip house was the other the only other side of that. Yeah, but that's and again hip hop. And there's a huge connection to that. Look, if you you know, like that's you know one of the points of of my of the album I'm working on is like you have you know Craig G turned his house into home, KY Stomp, uh, uh, Queen Latifah did house joints, Moni Love, Moni um, Grandpa's Party, Moni, Moni Love. Love was my was my dude like back in the day on, on and on and on of <laughs> many people had you know a correlation between house and hip hop. I mean, when you listen to Come Into My House, Queen Latifah, or I mean. Just Jungle Brothers. I mean, a housey? Come on. That's I know. I still listen to the Jungle Brothers, dude. I still put them on. I actually, you know, you know, because remember, keep on dancing. Keep on dancing. Keep on dancing. That ends up in The Prodigy. The Prodigy sampled the Jungle Brothers for that. That became yeah. a, a big hit from them. Or is that Asen? Did Asen do that? Asen knows The Prodigy. The Prodigy. Early on, Prodigy. On, on, on the experience? It was on It was on the first one, I think. Yeah, the, the experience. Pro, the, yeah, yeah. The White Album. The White, the white Album, right. I listened to that. I listened to The Prodigy driving out, going somewhere this summer, listening to like the first and second album, just thinking about how, you know, I can hear the technology, thinking about when the samplers and all that stuff, you know, that he was using to make those records. It just really brought me back. Some of them are just crazy. Some of it's just... Makes no sense whatsoever, but it's amazing. Yeah, no, Liam Howlett was somebody I absolutely admired. So he was like out of this world. And it took him, again, one dude in a studio making these records by right. himself. Well, Jack, he, same with Jack Dangers from Me Beat yeah. Manifesto. He was sort yeah. of like, oh, Me Beat yeah. Manifesto for me was sort of what honed me for Ming and FS. Like, Me Beat was the thing where I was like, Jack Dangers is, is like a produ production god in between house music and breakbeat music and industrial. And that sensibility, when I heard Jungle, that's where that idea for me kind of coalesced to, to mix this hip-hop, breakbeat, drum and bass hybrid to make this experimental hip-hop music. And that's kind of where the idea of Ming and FS came from, was that, was that those production techniques bringing them to you know to drum and bass which is you know dope. whatever yeah dope man yes. yo man this is fun yeah this is good vibes man we got to keep doing this you know I'm, I'm i'm here i'm locked in the studio so anytime you want to catch up i'm always i'm always here we got to share some more stuff with the peeps maybe we'll do um we'll share some some rough things that we're working on next time yeah, maybe the next time we'll do a, a Zoom too and then connect the Zoom. I think you can actually live stream a Zoom and then have people log on. Yeah, well, we can do a Zoom, no doubt. But this is, I think, Instagram stories you can only do on your phone this way. And then I'm going to see after this if I can save it and put it up to Instagram TV or whatever that is, Insta TV. I have no idea. Um, but we could do what I wanted to do. You give me, an, I'm going to give it up here. I wanted to do a producer's forum where we get a bunch of us together in a Zoom thing and really get into it that way, where where it's not just the two of us, it's like 
Yeah, a bunch of us. Yeah. Yeah, and also bring in the elements, you know, bring in like the different things that we're talking about, you know, and maybe even trade some of the stuff, you know, work on whatever. Just that's what I want to do. <laughs> Alexander Miami, he's dope. He's a good curator, producer, and songwriter, and a singer too. Yeah. Uh, what's up, oh, you dude? know who I talked to this morning? Who you know, Curtis Richardson. Curtis, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, we're doing a tons of stuff together, actually. Dude, I worked with Curtis like 12 years ago, and then I reached out to um, this other girl, Charlie Vox, who I've done some stuff with way back in the... And then, like, he was yeah. like... he We talked this morning, and he was like, I saw you doing something with Junior. And he was like, my whole world spun around, and we just reconnected. It's dope. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, he. there's a song on my album that he wrote... Um, with Diddy Corro's sick, like it's super, super sick. Um, and I did another song with him and Charlie Vox as well called Freedom. Yeah, I'm gonna send you some joints, joints and jams. You know, we also got to trade. I'm, you know, we talked about this, but I'm, I'm collecting all the people who contract their own vocals right now because that's, you know, part of why I'm like I do what I do is that I'm a good vocal producer, but I can't have anybody in my studio, so I gotta like teach people how to track their vocals. Show the, Curtis. He needs to. He, I know. He, I know. He told me you were on his case about that, but I was like, Curtis, I can tell you what to buy, and I can sit, walk you through the process. He's like, I, you know, I think you know. He just needs a clean signal, nice, and he knows how to control his signal with his voice, and that's it. And just yeah. Record. Just press. Record. Don't distort. Just just record. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I am yeah. though. I am putting together a vocal production workshop that I'm doing for Pure Mind. It's going to be a multi-video, like ten. 15 video like literally the whole thing how you do vocal production from everything from signal flow to you know stacking to tuning to mic selection to all of that i'm gonna you know that's what i'm gonna start doing starting how are you doing are you doing um auto tune or melodyne all of it so i'm doing uh, my two main tools are melodyne and auto tune my the quick the quickest not nothing is a hundred percent, but the, the, what I normally do is I try to get a lead vocal that's as close as possible to what I want, and then I melodyne it in place on with words if I have to. I'm doing many, many, many takes on the lead vocal to get that vibe that I want. Then with backgrounds and everything else, unless the singer is really pitchy, I'll tend to just use auto tune on that stuff because I don't want it to be a hundred percent perfect. Are you using are you using the old like the real the real time auto tune or the no I have that for UAD but I just never find that going in with you auto tune on the way in is never a good idea I the only my signal chain on the way in is whatever microphone you're going to use a good preamp and a little bit of LA two A just to capture just in case somebody does something dumb like gets too loud on the microphone so we don't get any distortion on the way in it's like an, i use it for a whoops factor yeah. if it's too loud it's going to distort on the way in anyway but um then i do all my processing post recording but i do my you know i usually like to get a nice thick sounding vocal on the way in and then thin it out as much as i need to to control whatever um it really depends on the on the singer too. Like if I work with Michael Lynch, Big Mike, who's got this massive voice, he sounds like Luther Vandross, but he's so loud that the whole room resonates and it really like hums. Wow. So like so with him, I have to pad the microphone. I have to do a lot of stuff. Like I have to put I have to put um I have to put padding over my guitar strings because they resonate with his voice like crazy stuff. And then other people are so quiet, especially a lot of these new sort of like um pop EDM. Yeah. style singers are like you know it's so quiet they sound great but you know like on the mic but they sound great with game with game <laughs> yeah but i'm gonna cover all that stuff too we should know we should do I, i'm gonna do this producer one shots like little small videos on people's tips you know tricks and tips that that young producers can just kind of digest and ask questions on it um yeah, man. do it so all right, brother. I'm gonna let you go. Have a good Friday. You too, man. Enjoy this is your awesome. Weekend. Be safe with the family, Junior. Speak to you soon. Ben, mad love. Peace.